0: To God be the glory. Hello, ladies. Hey, thanks. I'm so glad that you are all here today. What a delight to see each of you. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. I'm Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is a great delight to be here today. And I want to also um, shout out a hello to West Campus. Thanks for joining us today as well. Well, ladies, this is it. It's our um, last day of our study of Galatians. I hope it has been as valuable to you as it has been to me. It has been a treasure to me to study this letter to the Galatians. Next week, we're going to begin our study of Ephesians. And it is another important and relevant and very interesting letter from Paul. We are in for quite a treat, so I want to encourage you to come the next six weeks and uh, be part of that study of Ephesians. And that will take us up to our Thanksgiving break. Hard to imagine. Uh, But today, we are going to talk about the rest of Galatians. We're going to end it. You know, this letter began. Paul gave um, his credentials to the Galatians, and he did that because he wanted them... To listen to him and to know that they could believe his message, that it was truth. And Paul's message, we've said it many times, it was salvation by faith, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. By grace through faith in Christ alone. And Christ brings freedom. Now the Galatians started out believing that but now they've gotten confused because the judaizers the false teachers have um added something to salvation they've added the old testament law and we know that anytime we add anything to grace then the freedom is gone You know, Paul just doesn't tell them, um, just believe what I say is true. He gives them very convincing arguments and reasons why justification is by faith in Christ. It is not by works. There's nothing that we can do that will um, justify us by our own efforts. It's by grace through faith. Shelley told us last week that Jesus ended our slavery to the law. God sent Jesus at just the right time to redeem us. And we became adopted sons of God through Jesus' atoning work on the cross. And now we are free. And she gave that great example of... um, Infants strapped into strollers. You know, we're not infants in strollers anymore. And I love that. She talked about her grandsons and how they'd been strapped into strollers on the edge of the playing field while the older siblings played the games. But then they got old enough to be out on the soccer field themselves playing soccer. And they were never going back to being strapped in to that stroller. That's what Paul is telling the Galatians. Don't get strapped back into the stroller. Don't get back under slavery he says you're free so live like it but how do we take this truth of grace and freedom and live it out in our daily lives how do we live like it you know paul's going to tell us in these chapters five and six he goes from presenting argument to application so we're going to just jump right in i turn to chapter five of galatians And I'm going to read verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, this is a key verse in the book of Galatians. This is the point Paul wants to make. For freedom, Christ has set us free. How many of you have seen the movie Braveheart? It came out about 20 Years ago, some of you, yeah, it's pretty violent, um, really very violent. But I love the message of that story of Braveheart. It's all about freedom. It's the story of William Wallace, a Scottish freedom fighter who led a war against England during the 13th century. The Scottish wanted freedom from the tyranny and the cruelty of English rule under Edward I. And so in the movie, you hear several... Um, Impassioned speeches about freedom From William Wallace and one in particular You may remember they're at the battle The Scots are going to go against the um, English and they are very outnumbered And the English have um, The right kind of weapons and armor And many many more of them And the Scots are beginning to be afraid and this one Little guy says we need to turn and run And William Wallace gives this great Speech on freedom And they go out and they fight And they defeat the British The English Now William Wallace is eventually caught, Um, he's tried for treason, he's taken to England, and they are going to put him to death, and they do this, this last scene is this torture scene of death, um, out with everybody watching, and they want him to cry for mercy, the magistrate is standing over him, and they want him to say mercy, because that would be like saying uncle in our vernacular, it would be like saying I give up, mercy, mercy. And William Wallace doesn't say it. And he's being tortured there to death and pulled on the rack. And the people out in the crowd begin, it's so hard to watch him that they begin to say, mercy, mercy. And um, pretty soon, William Wallace begins to say something. And the magistrate stops. And he says, silence, the prisoner wants to speak. And he has a little smirk on his face. And he looks down, ready for William Wallace. And do you remember that scene? It is so compelling with his last effort and dying breath. He opens his mouth and he shouts out, freedom! Freedom! And it went out throughout. You know, freedom. We all understand freedom. We all want freedom. And that's what Paul is saying here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, maybe you've thought that over this time, what are we free from? What exactly has he set us free from? So I have about six things here. The first one is free from the penalty of sin. Christ's atoning work, his death on the cross, it paid the penalty for our sin. We're free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the guilt of sin. Christ's atonement brings forgiveness. We're free from the law, from its demands and threats and burdens and obligations. We're free From the power of sin in our daily life, we can be led by the Holy Spirit. We're free to love God and to love others. Do you know what that means? Free to have a personal relationship with the holy God creator of the universe. We are free to have that relationship. We are free for the Holy Spirit to develop Christ-like fruit in us. And I read a quote that said this kind of freedom radically changes our motives and our actions. Radically changes our motives and actions. How does that work? Well Paul tells us in these next two chapters we are going to look at. In verse 1 Paul is emphatic. He says stand firm in this freedom. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul gives them this visual picture of a yoke. And I have a picture of a yoke we are going to put up here. Um, This yoke um, hangs above the fireplace in my mom's cabin in Arkansas. And this yoke was my great-grandfather's. And my grandfather used to tell me how my great-grandfather made that for his two mules. And one was a little larger than the other. You can tell that. Their heads would fit through those little U-shaped pieces. And then he would attach the uh, plow. And the mules would pull it and he'd direct the plow and till up the ground in Arkansas. Now, Paul, with this picture, makes this statement. You do not want to be in that yoke of slavery. The mules were in that yoke so that they wouldn't run free. Paul says, do not become enslaved again. And after this emphatic beginning, he begins to tell us how to live free. So in verses 2 through 15, I call it living free by grace "...through faith expressed in love." So let's look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace." Once again, Paul is going to talk about circumcision. We've talked about that, I think, every week since we began Galatians. I don't think it's anywhere in Ephesians as circumcision. Um, And so he says, if you want to add this requirement, this law to salvation, then you have turned away from the free life in Christ. You're back under the obligation of the law. You're in slavery. And newsflash, Galatians... You can't keep just one part of the law. You have to keep the whole law. And we know that's true. If we're speeding and a policeman pulls us over and he walks up to give us a ticket, we don't start saying, hey, but I didn't rob a bank today. I didn't kill anyone. I pay my taxes. I only water my grass on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You know, we don't don't say that because he doesn't care. What he cares about is that we've broken this law, the speed limit. And he writes out that ticket and hands it to us with a smile. You have to keep the whole law. Paul says if you want to be justified by the law, then you have moved away from grace. Fallen away from grace. Now let me say very clearly, this verse does not mean losing your salvation. It is not talking about losing your salvation. We know that when you put your faith in Christ, you believe in him, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and nothing can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. And that's such a good verse. I put it on your verse sheet so you would have it. John 10:28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What this means is that we are taking ourselves out from under the sphere of grace. The Galatians were still saved. They were heaven bound. But they were not living under that sphere of grace. They were living under the law. They were trying to do things with their own effort. And this can happen to us. We can be living under legalism. Not living free under grace. When we do things on our own effort. Don't let the law or legalism negate grace in your life. Don't let the law take you away from grace. Let's look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul says we are justified. We are made righteous by our faith in Jesus. We don't have to keep doing things to make ourselves look right before God. No, by putting our faith in Christ, his atoning work on the cross, then we are set free from the penalty of our sin, and we are set free from guilt. We are no longer slaves to the law by faith. And then verse 6 says this, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Faith expressed in love. Paul's saying it's not what's on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside. It's not the external, but the internal. It's faith expressed in love. And now, ladies, we are free to love God, to have a personal relationship with the Almighty God. Then we see some... um, illustrations here we're going to get back to love in verse 13 but paul kind of stops and he gives these illustrations it's like he's trying to encourage the galatians here and he says in verse 7 you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this is kind of a rhetorical question he knows it's the false teachers but it leads to his next statement this persuasion is not from him who calls you it's not god who's leading you away from the truth you know, that example of running well, that always, um, Paul loves that example of the runner and the race. And that always is an illustration of the Christian life. It's... Um, the running, making progress going forward. And he says to them, who hindered you? Who cut you off? And it kind of gives you the picture. Maybe you've seen the Olympics. They're running around. And some runner will just kind of cut off and bump that other runner. And sometimes that knocks them totally off the track. He's saying, who has hindered you? That's the picture in their mind. He said, it's not God telling you this lie. And then he goes on to further illustrate. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, leaven. we're talking about yeast here. How many of you make bread? Anybody? And nowadays, okay, there's some of you. Yeah, I think I did it one time and my arms were so sore that was it. But you know, you put a little yeast in, doesn't take much, and it causes the whole lump of bread to rise. Just a little yeast. And that's what he's saying. Just a little lie mixed in with the truth, and all the truth becomes a lie. What you're following is a lie, and they would know that. Then we have these verses in 11 and 12. I wish I could skip over them, but I'm just going to read them and try to explain them. It says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Wow, that's harsh, Paul. (laughs) We see he is really upset here. And one thing I think that verse 11, it seems like in the commentaries they think that there were some people that were claiming that Paul was actually preaching circumcision. That he was saying that was a good thing. And he says, that is ridiculous. Why would I be preaching circumcision when I'm still being persecuted for preaching the cross? Preaching that it's grace through faith in Christ alone. Why would that be happening? And he's so frustrated. He says, I just wish those who are telling these things would just emasculate themselves. It's kind of like, just take that circumcision all the way and just emasculate yourself. I don't know. Maybe he's mad here. Or maybe he's really saying, I just wish they would become impotent. That they would not have power to take any more Galatians, to drag any more Galatians into untruth, into false teaching, into believing a lie. But we get back to verse 13, and Paul continues on in love. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul is... uh, Talking here really about the balance between uh, legalism and license. Somewhere in between that is liberty, is freedom. Legalism, way out here, license, right out here. And the definition for license is um, excessive or undisciplined freedom constituting an abuse. And so Paul's been talking about the law, and now all of a sudden he says, but, you know, don't, don't give in to license. Don't squander your freedom on selfish desires. Instead, use your freedom to love others because it's love that fulfills the whole law. You're concerned about the law? Well, Jesus says it's love that fulfills the whole law. That one word. On your verse sheet, we have Matthew 22, 37. This is Jesus talking, and he says... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying it's love that fulfills the whole law. So live free by grace through faith expressed in love and so avoid the slavery of legalism and the law the next way we live free is by the spirit the holy spirit that is God the spirit the spirit is part of the triune God you know it's God the father God the son and God the holy spirit love that we were um, singing that the Spirit is God. And Jesus told us after his death and resurrection, he was sending the Holy Spirit. So now, the moment we believe in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we know that from several verses. I put two on your verse sheet. Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then in Galatians 4.6, we read that last week. It says, and because you are sons... Paul tells us, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is central to living a life of freedom. This is the most important part of how to live free, by the Holy Spirit. So in verses 16 through 25, we're going to read about the Spirit, and we're going to see three action words with regard to the Spirit. And the first one is in verse 16. It says... But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in conflict with our sinful human nature. Now that's what it means by flesh. Our bodies aren't sinful, but they're neutral. What he's talking about here when he says flesh is our sinful human nature. And it's opposed to the desires of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires holiness, righteousness, godly things. Our sinful nature desires unrighteousness, unholiness. Those things that are against God. Walking in the Spirit is a picture of our everyday life going forward... Making progress, living moment by moment, relying on the Spirit, on the Spirit's desires, not on our selfish desires, yielding to the Holy Spirit to His direction. Okay, now we don't live every day, moment by moment, thinking about the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, we may go a couple of days without thinking about the Holy Spirit guiding our life, but. The more we recognize that, the more we actually stop and say, I have the Holy Spirit living in me, wanting to lead me, to direct me. I want to walk with the Spirit. And the more we become aware of that, the more we are walking in the Spirit. I love the theme of Kids Camp this year. It was called All In, and the theme song was All In as well. And my little granddaughter Harper can hardly say anything, but she can say All In because every time she gets in my car, I must put that CD in. And so I've listened to it many, many times. But I love it because there's a line in there talking about following the Lord, and it says, It is not a hobby. It's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle and i thought that is the lifestyle we want the more we think about the holy spirit walking with the holy spirit the holy spirit in us the more that becomes a lifestyle let's go on and uh, and remember the holy spirit we read gives us the power to do this let's go on and look at verse 18 and we're going to see the next action word but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law led by the spirit Not the law. Paul is making a connection that the law cannot keep us from giving in to the desires of our sinful nature. No, we need the Holy Spirit to change our heart, to change our mind, our thoughts. And that will change our actions. Verse 19, Paul gives us a whole list of the works of the flesh. He says they're evident. So let's look at those for a minute. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These first three are sexual sins. And it's pretty interesting that he would begin with sexual uh, sins. Some say that it's because it was prevalent in the day and time of the Galatians. That sinful sexual behavior was used in the pagan religious activity. But it's prevalent today. And sinful sexual behavior has dramatic Consequences in the lives of the participant and in the lives of those around them, even the children. The next two we see here are religious sins idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is worshiping anything besides God, and sorcery is becoming involved in evil powers, in demonic powers. And then we see these next eight, and these are kind of relational sins, societal sins. That first one, enmity. That means um, hatred, quarrels. We see strife, jealousy, fits of anger. That's rage. see a lot of rage out there. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. That's really fractured relationships and envy. And then the next two... Drunkenness and orgies. And he says in things like these, this is not even a complete list. Drunkenness and orgies, those are intemperate sins. And I love that word intemperate. It reminds me of my grandmother because she loved to say temperance. And it's really an old King James Version um, Bible that has that word temperance in it. And intemperance really means lack of self-restraint. And we can see that with drunkenness and orgies. Orgies are just parties with excessive wrong behaviors such as drinking, drugs, illicit sex, even maybe gluttony, you know the sins in themselves are not as important as the underlying cause of these sins and the cause is self-centeredness, it's egocentric, it's all about me and what makes me happy And yet these words to me look dark and chaotic and anything but happy. And I love the way Eugene Peterson describes it. He calls this uh, kind of behavior as frenzied, joyless, grabs for happiness. And you know, we want to avoid these works of the flesh not because they're naughty, not because they're wrong. We really want to avoid the works of the flesh because... They destroy our soul. They destroy our soul. And God knew that, and He knows that's why we don't want to be a part of that. Let's go on and finish 21 here. This is interesting. It says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who is Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers, because we know they are the ones that will not be a part of the kingdom of God. Their lives and their lifestyle exhibit the works of the flesh. Now, as believers, can we commit these sins? Yes, we can and we do. But it shouldn't be our practice. It shouldn't be our lifestyle. It's not what we desire to do. And what about the person that we know, we all have someone we know that believed in Christ and now they're far away from God. And their lifestyle really looks a lot like this work of the flesh. What about them? Yes, they are saved as well. They are heaven bound, but they're not being led by the spirit and their lives are not producing the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we want as believers, ladies. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. And so let's go on and look at these words. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those words, just saying them, have a beauty to them. It's, it's a serenity. They're beautiful words. Love, it's the Greek word agape, which means godly love, self-sacrificing love. Joy is that inward gladness, regardless of the circumstances. Peace, it passes understanding in the most difficult situations. Patience, the King James Version calls it long-suffering, and I think that's a good um, definition of it. Kindness is benevolence and graciousness. Goodness is love in action. Faithfulness, dependability, and gentleness. King James calls it meekness, and that means the right use of power and authority. It's power under control. And self-control, there's that word, temperance. There's no law against these attitudes because they are encouraging and beneficial and constructive. But there are laws against the work of the flesh because they can be destructive and harmful. Now, you may say, I still have the desires of the sinful human nature. And that's why verse 24 is important. Because Jesus' death and resurrection broke the power of sin in our lives. And we see that said like this in Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We still have that sinful, sinful human nature. But it doesn't control us like it did before. We are free to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads us primarily through Scripture. By helping us to understand the will of God and what's important to God. And Jesus tells us that in John 14:26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit motivates us to do what is right. And he provides the power to do what is right. We see that um, in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And giving us that power. And then, in verse twenty five we see the um, last action word, "If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit." So what is my part? How do I keep in step with the spirit well it 's those basic activities that you hear about so often, but this is how we keep in step with the spirit one. Read and study the Word of God, and that's what you're doing today. Memorize it, ponder it, think about it, meditate on it. Let it go deep inside your heart. Consider what it says. One time I heard a speaker say, put God's Word in your heart and give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And I love that. I love that. I think about that. And I'm so glad with my memory that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to bring that to my memory. And so we put the Word of God in our heart. And when we're in that situation and we need words of comfort someone, the Holy Spirit brings those words from the Scriptures to our mind. Or we're in a hard decision and we don't know what to do and we're thinking and the Holy Spirit brings scripture to our mind that gives us the answer in that situation. Put the Word of God in your heart. Second, talk to God and listen to Him every day, all the time, whenever. Get in the practice of saying, Spirit, lead me. Give me wisdom in this situation. Guard my words in this one. Or let me have words of wisdom for this situation. Third thing, praise and worship God. That turns our focus on God and who He is and that's how we stay in step with the Spirit. And fourth, hang out with other believers, encouraging one another towards God. You know, I love women in the Word because we do all of those things here. We're primarily about studying the Word of God, but we also have prayer. We have praise and worship. And we also have opportunities to hang out with other believers and encourage one another and I have this story I want to tell you real quickly a couple weeks ago I was at the library with my little granddaughter Harper it was story time and after story time you go over and you draw a picture and so I'm watching Harper, Color and these two beautiful gals are standing next to me and one of them introduces herself to me, they've both got two little darling boys and she introduces herself and she says I think I know you from Women in the Word and I'm like oh do you guys go to Women in the Word and they said yes and I go oh are you friends and they go yes we we met in our small group this year. This year they met in their small group and now they're friends hanging out to, together, encouraging one another in the Lord. And here's how good God is they both have the same first name. Why would we have put two people with the same name in a small group? And yet God is good. Let's go on to look at verse 26 Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another here is what we don't want to do this is how we get quickly out of step with the spirit because this verse is telling us do not compare yourself with others it's about comparison that never works out well either we find ourselves lacking because the person we're comparing ourselves with they pray more they love more they give more they're just more And so we become discouraged and then depressed. And maybe that is going to lead to license where we just give up and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. Or the other way can be true. We come out on top. We compare ourselves with someone and my spiritual accomplishments look really good. We think, hey, I pray more. I do more. I love more. I'm better than that person. And you know what that does? It leads to arrogance and pride. And Paul says here, conceit. And no one likes that person. No, that is legalism. That's legalism when we get over there. That's me trying to look good on the outside so that others will think I'm spiritual. That's what that's all about when we compare it. It never works out well. We want to live in freedom in the middle there by the Holy Spirit. And you can't make a list of what you're going to avoid or what you're going to work on. Throw away the list. And spend time with the Lord, reading His Word and talking to Him and being in the presence of other believers, praising and worshiping Him. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in your life. I have an example of the red oak tree. You all know that. They turn red in November, December. But then they keep their leaves on until the spring. When the new life is coming through the tree and those buds come out and that pushes those dead leaves off to the ground. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives when we are keeping in step with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. The Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in us and pushes out those old, dead, selfish habits of ours. So, walk in the Spirit, live free by the Spirit, and avoid license. Do not squander... Your freedom. So let's go on to chapter six, and we're going to go through this one a little bit uh, more quickly. But in these first uh, ten verses, I see another way of living free, and that is by caring for others. Caring for others. So the first uh, example Paul gives us is in verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too. Be tempted. First thing here, restore your sinful sister. As we walk in the Spirit, we're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We will stumble. And stum- sometimes we're going to need our Christian sister to help us up. And that is to be done carefully, it's to be taken seriously, and above all, do it with gentleness. You know, we don't want to bash someone uh, over the head with their sin. That's legalism. And we also don't want to say, oh, that's okay, never mind, don't worry about it, everyone does. That's license. Freedom is in the middle. We want to restore them with forgiving, loving, gentleness. And that word there, restore, it really means repair. The emphasis is not on punishment, but on a cure. It's like setting a broken bone. The picture of setting a broken bone. And then Paul gives us a warning. In all of these, Paul is going to have a warning. It's interesting. He says, don't get too self-righteous. You know, don't get really proud and say to yourself, hey, I am never getting into that sin. I would never do that. Lest, he says, you find yourself tempted and you're in the same situation. The warning, watch out for self-righteousness. The next example, verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You know, what in the world is all that about? Um... I'm going to talk about it, kind of take it apart. The first thing is the example that we're to do in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And that word for burden there, um, it kind of has the connotation of something very heavy, weighing someone down. And then he talks about the law of Christ. What's that? What's that? It's interesting that it would bring up the law of Christ, but once again, it has to do with love. Love, we see a lot of love in chapters 5 and 6. And so the law of Christ on your verse sheets from John 13, 34. Jesus is telling the disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's how they're going to know that we are believers, by our love one for another. So, we help each other with these burdens. And these are something from the outside. A crisis, an emergency, a sorrow. How do we help each other? I'm not going to give examples. How, when, what. That is for you to talk to the Lord about and see. That's for you to do. You know, sometimes it's easier to see. Susie's taking dinner, so I'm going to take dinner. Or maybe Mary's writing a note of encouragement. So I'm going to write a note of encouragement. Maybe that's what God wants you to do. But talk to the Lord. Be led by the Spirit and see how does God want me to help carry that burden for that person. And then this next part here that's kind of confusing. This is really talking about uh, the fact that there are some burdens that are ours alone to carry. They are personal responsibilities that we must do ourselves. No one else can do those for us. And that word there in verse 6, each to bear his own load, that is a different word there for burden. It means a soldier's pack. The soldier had to carry his own pack. And so there are some things that God has called us to carry ourselves. And there's the warning Pray and find out, are you asking someone to carry a burden that really God has for you to carry? And the same. So look around, look around at the burdens of others and talk to God about what you can do. Third thing I see in uh, verse uh, 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I call this being generous. Sharing. That's what we see in verse 6. Someone shares the good things they have with you. You share the good things you have with them. And the warning. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You sow. If you are self centered and selfish and ignoring the needs of others, then you will end up with a harvest of weeds. It will not be soul fulfilling. But the one who sows generously, helping others, showing kindness, you will reap a soul satisfying life. The generous will reap fulfillment. Let's look at our um, fourth example, Paul gives us here in verse 9. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So do good. Do good. And do not give up doing good. Good. Let us not grow weary. Now that's easier said than done. And so I've been thinking a lot these last few weeks, what is it that makes me grow weary of doing good? And I thought one thing could be that um, I don't see any success. You know, it doesn't look like it matters much. Nobody really cares. No one's coming into the kingdom of God. No one's heart is changing. What does it really matter or maybe it's because I don't see any gratitude. There's no gratefulness. No one's thankful. It doesn't really seem like anybody cares about my good works. Nobody cares. So what is that? I've been hearing people say this little phrase. That's a you problem. My daughter loves to say that to her kids. That's a you problem. And I thought, hey, that's right. That is a me problem when I think like that. And what I need to do is go back to walking in the spirit, focusing on the Lord, talking to him, reading his word to get strength and love and direction to go out there. And did you notice it says, especially for the household of faith. That's saying take care of other believers. Because that's how others, the world, will know that we are Christ followers. By our love, one for another. And we take care of each other so that we can go out then and take care of the world. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 tells us, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Warren Wiersbe says, we share with other Christians so all of us might be able to share with a needy world. As we abound in love for one another, we overflow in love for all men. You know, liberty is a balance. It's a balance. We don't want to live um, legalistically doing things out of obligation And and my husband said, you know, that's a wavy line. One day we're doing good um, out of our heart. And the next day that same thing has become an obligation. We don't want to do things out of obligation. But we also don't want to be so self-centered that we're not doing anything. We don't want to live a self-centered life. So live free. Live free. And avoid a lifestyle, a self-centered activity. Now we're going to come to the closing. And uh, these last few verses are very important. Verse 11 says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. There's a lot of thoughts on what that means. Maybe Paul had visual problems and so he was writing large. Maybe he was trying to tell the Galatians, This is me, Paul, actually writing to you. Either way, I think what um, it does do is put emphasis on the importance of these next verses to come, because this is Paul really summing up his convictions as he closes out this letter to the Galatians. And I'm not going to read verses um, 12 and 13, but this is talking about the Judaizers. Paul's talking about the false teachers, and he says they are motivated by religious pride and self interest. They're proud, they're boastful, they're trying to make a good impression. They want converts, people, to follow the law and be circumcised so that they'll look good. Like they have a large following. They weren't really concerned about the individual. Rather, they were looking out for their own self-interest. They didn't want to be persecuted for believing in Jesus. Now you know, we've said before, these false teachers were probably... Jewish believers in Jesus. But they were adding the law and specifically circumcision to their belief in Jesus so that they would avoid the persecution that the Galatian Christians were experiencing. And these false teachers were hypocrites because they weren't keeping the whole law. They were dishonest and manipulative, trying to convince the Galatians to follow their teaching and be circumcised. And you know that circumcision is a very clear visual indicator that they were following the teachings of the false teachers. Paul's motivation is quite different and we see that in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul is motivated by the glory of God. Paul doesn't care about the praise of men. He cares about God being glorified. And so Paul will boast in the cross. The cross represents the atoning sacrifice Jesus made so that we can be made righteous and be set free. That's what matters to Paul. This world system holds no appeal. And so he says again, it's not what's on the outside. Circumcision, uncircumcision, that doesn't matter. It's what's on the inside. And what's that? We are new creations. On your verse sheet, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are freed from the old. And he says, Peace and mercy to you who follow this rule. Now that's interesting would say rule. I think there's kind of a play on words there because Paul's been speaking against the law and rules. So what is this rule? The rule is we're new creations, We are new creations. We are not slaves to sin, but we are free to walk in the Spirit. In these verses 17 and 18, there are some very warm and tender closing words. Let me read them. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You know this closing is very different from Paul's opening greeting which lacked any word of commendation for the Galatians. Here we see these warm and tender words. And Paul makes his final appeal not based on his authority as an apostle like he did in chapter 1. Now he makes his appeal based on the one who bears the scars of being a Christ follower. And he closes with grace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Grace, Galatians is all about grace. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. He calls them brothers as a reminder of his deep love for them. So as Galatians comes to a close, let's remember. Embrace grace and live free. Let's pray. Lord, we give you all the glory. You are an awesome, loving God. Thank you for setting us free. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.